Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, I Needed a Neighbor, by Patricia Sanjin, with permission of Scripture Union Publications, and we are on Chapter 10. Merritt and Tikla settled down at the great border camp where every day seemed alike, except that the April weather was getting hotter and hotter, and the flimsy shelter where they lived next to the kind old priest became more and more tumble down. Tikla spent much of the day in therapeutic feeding center, and had put on weight, but he was still dull and fretful and seemed too tired to run about. Early in the morning or late in the afternoon, when the shadows of the palm tree grew longer, they would roam along the dry riverbed in search of firewood and cook their injera. During the morning, Merritt would line up for the water, brought in on the great water carts. Her once eager, active mind, now dulled with grief and boredom, refused to look into the future. It was enough that today she and Tikla were together. There was food and water, and she could lie down in the shade and rest. Gabriel was a busy orderly now, but he visited them every day, and the priest's old wife was kind to them. It was enough. One day, Merritt would look into the empty void ahead, but not yet. She woke very early one morning because the child in the next shelter was crying, a hoarse, wailing cry, and its mother could not soothe it. A small mist rose from the river, and it was still cool. Merritt lay still for a time, and then she went over to where the mother sat, rocking her fretful little son. "'Is he ill?' asked Merritt. "'I think so,' replied the woman. "'His skin is hot, and his eyes are red and running with tears. "'I gave him water, but he cannot swallow. "'I think his throat is sore. "'You must take him to the center. "'The nurse will see him.' "'Maybe, but there are so many, and it is so hot. "'Here under the trees it is a little cooler. "'If I rock him in my arms for a time, he will sleep.' Tikla woke up and trotted across to his sister, groggy with sleep. He climbed into Merritt's lap and peered at his sick friends. Is Kairos ill? he asked plaintively. Can't he play with me today? He put out his hand and stroked Cairo's head. It had not been shaved like most of them, but his hair was red and patchy from hunger. They sat quietly together for a time, but the wailing did not cease, and Kairos would not drink. I will take him to the center, said his mother at last, and she went away along the river bank into the glare of morning. But she soon came back, and her eyes were frightened. There seems to be hundreds of them, she said, and they all have red, weeping eyes and runny noses, and they're all burning hot. Some are covered with red a red rash, and it will be near noonday when my turn comes. I will sit in the shade and go later. It is some sickness that is broken out among our children. You had better take Tikla away from here. Down at the center, a woman called Marie and her companions from the Swiss Red Cross worked doggedly on, fighting the measles epidemic. It had broken out in a matter of few days and spread like wildfire, racking those small, emaciated bodies, bodies too ravaged with hunger to withstand the feather onslaught of a fever. They died like flies from the complications of measles, from meningitis, from mastoid infection, from diarrhea and vomiting and dehydration, because there was not enough hands to pass the gastric tubes and supervise all the feeding. There was seldom a time when, in some part of the camp, no sound of quiet wailing could be heard. The processions carrying those small, pathetic bundles of homemade stretchers became commonplace and passed almost unnoticed. The mounds in the burial fields stretched away to the burning horizon, row upon row. The temperature soared and the river sunk lower and lower. Kairos died soon after the onset of the illness. He got his turn at the center, and they did what they could, but he had only recently arrived, and the journey from the cooler hills had taken its toll. On the third evening, his wailing ceased. 
He lay in his mother's arms, breathing rapidly, opening his parched lips for water, but dribbling it out again. She would not take him back to the center, for it was cooler under the trees, and all she could give him now was quiet and the clasp of her arms. The sun was high in the sky next morning, and when he gave a little sigh, turned towards her and gave up the struggle. She called to Merritt. I think he's gone, she said. You had better call my husband and the priest. She rocked to and fro, wailing and moaning for Kairos, her only son. Merritt joined in the wailing and the prayers, but she would not let Tikla come near. Yet on that first morning, he had leaned over Kairos and touched him, and her heart was heavy with fear. She watched him all day and woke in the night to feel his forehead. But it was ten days before he, he crept into her lap, complaining of a headache and sore eyes, and her body turned cold with a dread, for this was the beginning. But the children had now been inoculated, and Tikla put up a brave fight. They had been several weeks in the camp, and he had grown stronger to resist. As the horse whimpering started, Merritt forced the water down his throat and bathed his burning little body with her own rations. She carried him to the center in the cool of the morning, and they gave him medicine and treated his eyes. On the fourth day, the nightmare receded, and she thought he was going to live. Only then did she dare think about what might have been, and to contemplate the future without him. He had sweated profusely in the night, and his temperature had fallen. The hoarse crying had ceased, and he lay in her arms, weak and ailing, but peacefully asleep. But because she had so nearly lost him and he had been given back, she looked steadily into the future and realized that their future lay together. She did not know how long they would stay in this scorching day-to-day existence or what change could possibly come, but Tikli would still hold her hand and lie beside her at night. Her life still had an object, and one day the hot season would pass. One day Tikli would grow strong and beautiful. One day the rain would fall and the crops would spring up and they would all go back over the border, he and she together. She would be older then. Her thoughts became hazy and indistinct at this point, but there were no parents or grandparents to go back to. Then, because she was so nearly asleep, worn out from her nights of vigil, she seemed to hear Fikra's voice, Only a few months and I will come and look for you. The rain will have fallen. Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, I Needed a Neighbor, by Patricia Sanjin. She lay teakly down on the cloak and stretched out beside him. Fikra was coming, running over flower-covered mountains through the harvest fields to find her. She was young and she was beautiful, and she was wearing her bright embroidered dress, and the green, shining landscape smelt of rain. And tomorrow we'll read Chapter 11. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.